Over the course of the retreat, we've offered you many instructions and encouragement and information about practice. And we've offered some techniques for dealing with specific conditions in your practice. And all of your intention to be mindful has been a planting of seeds in the mind stream. The intention to be awake, to be mindful, to be aware, to recognize the present moment. And as you've planted those seeds in the mind, some of them land on fertile soil and sprout, and for a moment, or for a sustained period of time, the mind is aware, recognizing what's going on in each moment. But at times, even though you have the best of intention and are making the best effort that you can, the seeds land on barren rock in the mind or in the heart. They just don't seem to sprout. And there's a sense of struggle, not feeling very confident, and not very aware. Nevertheless, the seeds are still there. And when conditions ripen and there's enough soil, fertilizer, moisture, sun, seeds will sprout. In this case, it's planting the seed of intention to be mindful, to be aware. And when there's enough faith, energy, trust, confidence, and this requisite letting go and open receptivity, then those seeds that formerly did not sprout will, and you'll be mindful. Sometimes it's helpful just to sit without any, without any agenda, without any technique, to just sit and let the Dharma come get you. You may forget the Dharma for long periods of time, but eventually awareness will dawn and it will be recognized. We could say, even though you forgot the Dharma, the Dharma didn't forget you. Sometimes it's interesting just to sit without any specific intention or effort and just wait. Notice that awareness wakes you up. Your attention is called to something, it's recognized, and in that moment, without your conscious intention, one of those seeds sprouted and awareness occurred. Experiment with that during this sitting. I, would, I could say, see if you can sit for 45 minutes and not be aware. But I won't. <laughs> I don't think you could, but I don't want you to try. <laughs> Nevertheless...
relax, really relax the body, relax the mind, and let awareness happen. Recognize that awareness happens. If you find yourself applying a technique or about to apply a technique, returning to the breath, noting, labeling, trying to do something, that's okay. But take a quick glance at what precipitated that. What what moved you to try a technique? What experience conditioned the intention to try to be mindful? Recognize the moment just before you apply a technique and see if it's something that you have recognized before or not, or if it's a new phenomena not previously recognized. In this way, we gradually expand the field of experience to be known, noticed, to be aware of, Watch, too, the attitude in the mind. It's the energy of your practice, the energy of your intention, the energy of your effort. Is there curiosity and sincere interest? Is it kind of a slog, and obligatory responsibility? Is it just something that happens without much of any conscious intention? Just notice what appears in each moment, how you're relating to it, and how you understand it. It arises, it's noticed, it passes away. If you can, let go.
Do you have any answers today? <laughs> the question is, at the outset or the beginning of Vipassana, do you recommend establishing a purpose? Uh, I think it's helpful at the beginning of a formal sitting practice to, um, you know, you might have a have a reminder or a, a recognition of, and, a, and through that recognition of your purpose or aspiration, a kind of a gathering of uh, energy for that purpose and a letting go of what you've been doing just before you got to the formal sitting. So I think that, you know, sometimes, you know, we're kind of hurrying. Here we're hurrying from a yogi job or we're just... We're just kind of wandering in and we sit down. And if we don't really kind of let go of what we've been doing and gather our energy and purpose and intention, aspiration even for being here, doing this for the next 45 minutes, our mind can just wander for most of that sitting. We can just wander back to what it was doing or have no specific purpose. So I I think it can be helpful. I think it's also interesting to notice, you know, after a retreat or whenever, just in your life at large, you're out, you're walking down the street, you're on the phone, you're talking to friends, whatever, you're at a party, you're at a social something, you go to the movie. Just notice when oh, mindfulness comes and wakes you up from your, the momentum of your, you know, delusion. It's real. It's really amazing just to notice what it is, where it is, how often it is, or how infrequent it is, that it just happens. But, you know, we've we planted a lot, like I mentioned in the instruction, we planted a lot of seeds here in the mind. They'll sprout. They'll sprout at the most, you know, kind of bewildering time. But take an opportunity to extend the, you know, when you realize that awareness has kind of come and got you, saved you from doing something foolish, then make some effort to extend it. During during a sitting? Oh, if you find yourself just really lost or spaced out or drifting a lot, then you might kind of reboot, you know, like push the restart button and kind of begin again. Yeah, it can be helpful. The one with the... I can't. Not, I'll get. I'll get you with the white shirt next. You with the black shirt. You 
want to sign that testimonial for an advertising we're doing? So the comment is, it seems like this practice is is about learning how to let your heart break and then holding the pieces until somehow either they come together in another configuration or you can accept it like that or you can accept the pain of that or or to change it. Or it passes away, yes. And uh, uh, then she said, this may seem like a dumb question, but... Why do we have to do that? I'm going to speak about the dumb question part. There is no dumb question in practice. You might think it's the most superficial, the most, you know, the dumbest, the stupidest, whatever. You just don't know where it's coming from. If it is important to you, if it has arisen in your mind and is stuck there as something you really want to know, don't be ashamed to ask it because... It's just our way of, of, you know, the questions, the doubts, or whatever we have in our mind that, that come up. And maybe we don't feel very articulate. And some of us are not very articulate, and that's okay. That's not a, being articulate or not articulate isn't a sign of wisdom. You, there, are, there are very wise people who who've really established, have established practice and a lot of wisdom who are, you know, basically illiterate. You know, just not very... You know, farmers, and, and I don't mean farmers are all, all farmers are illiterate, but just not, you know, sophisticated or educated. And I'm a farmer myself, so. <clears throat> but, you know, it's like how we, how we put things together is our own unique way. And if we can get an answer that's useful to us, great. Now, about the heartbreaking and pieces, I'll let Kamala speak to that. I knew you were going to. There's a few ways I was looking at that when you when you said about heartbreaking. <clears throat> One way is that a lot of times our hearts already breaking, and we just need to let it. And the tools that we use, these the right effort and the skillful means that we use give us an opportunity to be with that process in a way in which it can be seen clearly and uh, we're not drowning in the heartbreak, but we're able to be intimately with the process and really learn from that process. So what we learn is that this heartbreaking is really wrong view, meaning to say that what we've held together 
for a long, long time is we've held together an illusion, seeing things in a way that aren't the truth. And when the heart breaks, so to speak, those concepts begin to fall apart because of beginning to see life more clearly. And as we grow, even if we don't have mindfulness process, even if we don't know it, just because we're getting older and growing in wisdom anyway, one's mind begins to see things as they really are. And when we bring the mindfulness or sati or clear seeing and all the other skillful means that we bring to it, it sees it starkly, so with sobering honesty. It allows us to be balanced around it, compassionate, loving, all of those things. And we can allow the heart to break or the concept, the conceptions that have kept us, the concepts that have kept us in suffering to fall away. And it's true. It's put together again in a different way. And the different way that is put together again helps us to live our lives with more clarity, more wisdom, more compassion. It's hard when those concepts fall away because we have lived in those concepts or the wrong view of how things are for a long, long time. And it's, it's painful. Steve often gives the analogy that if we hold really tightly to something, meaning the way we've seen things for a long, long time, and we begin to loosen around that, at first it's numb. First we don't see anything. But later on, it starts to hurt. Just So it's pain going, not pain coming. Um, so our heart is everything. You know, our heart's um, love, it's pain, it's the way we think of things, the way we know things. So this heartbreaking is letting go of ignorance. Ignorance is not seeing things clearly, and it's also seeing things, but seeing things wrongly. It's those two ways. So the heartbreak is really good, and to bring the, the attention around it and all the skillful means that we're learning, um, it, helps. it helps during that process. Now, Steve is going to talk about emotions and love <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> I had one once. <laughs> Been there, done that.
Yeah. So did you hear the comment generally that with the cracking of delusion, heartbreaking, that <clears throat> she was feeling some kind of sensations in the chest area, inner inner chest area of shivering, shim, sh- shivering, shimmering, shivering, uh, that was unfamiliar, new to her, that didn't really, uh, I just, could I speak to that? Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, Step back and take a bigger, a bigger view of it. Um, what we think this body is, you know, its appearance, its size, its shape, its texture, its you know, da da da, and we think that's what this body is, is not really how it's experienced with concentrated, wise mind. When you, when as we practice, and the mind becomes more collected, and more understanding of what's actually being observed and then we look at or we we turn to this body we see it or we come to understand the body is you know it's layers and layers of uh, tension that slowly get released when they when layers of tension get released we start to feel more sensitively what's going on and at times the whole concept of a body just disappears and it's just energy you know there's just energy here and it's not even here it's just somewhere somewhere in the universe there's just energy moving around sometimes it's chaotic sometimes it's very rhythmic sometimes it's gross you know really thumping you know pulsing sometimes it's very subtle sometimes it doesn't seem to be flowing at all it's just kind of particles of sensation and you know, you kind of have to be prepared to let go of your concept of what the body is. You know, because there there'll come times when you're you know kind of mapping out the interior space of the body, and you can't find arm, leg, body, torso. You can't find organs. You can't find anything. It's just mostly space and sparkles. You know, and sometimes it's energy and flowing. But I mean, it's like okay. Don't freak, don't freak out. That's just the way it is. You know, your mind is in there, and it's gotten down below the conceptual level of, uh, you know, knowledge, and it's into the experiential level of knowledge. So, it can be a lot of unfamiliar stuff. It might be scary when you first open to it. It might not. Maybe it just reminds you of some old acid trips you've had, and it's just like, wow, cool, you know, and it's like. Whatever. <laughs> let, let go, let go, let go, let go. Like that. And you'll put yourself back together. You know, the mind will put itself back together. But, you know, it's good to, you know, and repeated, you know, as you see more deeply into what this, what this body is, uh, and more consistently and more frequently and more accurately, you don't put yourself back together in the same way. You know, the body's just a lot more open and porous and... We were having a discussion just the other evening after one of the Dharma talks, and we were talking about Deepama. And she, she was, you know, a little Indian woman that, you know, came here and taught, stayed over in the house across the street. And her understanding of the body was such that when she needed to go for an interview to see Manindra, she would just walk through the wall. Or she would just dematerialize here and rematerialize over there at the university where she went to go to class. 
That was her understanding of the body. And she could do that. So let's not get limited to my size, my shape, my texture, and don't get too attached to that because that's not the way it really is. Or it is at one level, but not completely. Yeah, please don't try to walk through the walls. (laughs) You can try, but be prepared for some suffering. So the question is, why are we here? Or why does, why does our grandchildren, our children, or why do they appear in a body? And, you know, is the mind that's there the body? And what's the relationship? And why did they choose to do that? And what's, what's to be learned from having a body? And what's it all about anyway? Right? If you're already there being somewhere before you come into the body? Yeah. Well, um, we'll be doing a month-long retreat later. Uh, you come. We'll explore that one. I mean, it's it's a big question. Um, Uh, I don't know. I can give you a, a Buddhist explanation of you know why beings take birth in the human realm, but you know metaphysics. You can go to some other book, and you can go read it in a book, or you can talk to some other spiritual people. They'll tell you different traditions have different ways of explaining it. Maybe the best thing is just to kind of experience it. Like, well, we don't have to kind of just look at the the new grandchild. The, the child, as to why are they in a body, you know, check out your own mind. Why are you in a body? You know, it's like, well, it is for now. I mean, you know, I could go into a whole, you know, discourse on karma, which addresses that, uh, a whole metaphysical planes of existence and all that, which would address it. But, you know, it's really about why am I here? Why, why, is, why is this... What's going on in this mind and body? Why this body? You know? So, there's a, there's a simpler, I mean, one of the questions that needs to be answered in order to answer that question is, why do you get up from a sitting? You know, Deepama told Joseph, you know, why don't you sit for three days? You should do a three-day sit. And she didn't mean you know, do a sit and walk for th- over the course of three days. She meant 
sit down, and get up three days later. Yeah. And if you, if you try that, you will soon discover what you're doing in a body. Yeah? Yeah, you will. You'll, you know, but keep sitting. And what you think is the reason for being in a body will change as you keep sitting. Yeah, really. I don't recommend that one either. But, you know, people can do that. Deepama did. So. Oh, time's up. But for those of you who still have questions, uh, we're going to change the schedule this morning. You'll notice that there is already a scheduled change for this afternoon where we'll be doing... We'd like you all to come to the hall at um, 3.15. Well, there'll be some question and answers, and we want to talk about the practice of generosity. But this morning, there's 45 minutes for walking now, uh, and then at 10 o'clock, we would like to do... We'd like you all to come to the hall, and we want to do a final teaching on the paramis. It'll be just kind of... Because the paramis are the practices that we do at home and socially and outside of intensive retreat more. So we want to do that from 10 to 11. Then there'll be a short walk, and then you can sit from 11.30 to 12. So if you come back at 11, I don't think anybody's got a yogi job at 10 to 11, huh? Okay, great. So you come back, and we'll do another uh, parami teaching then. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.